The following podcast may contain adult language and conversations revolving around situations not suitable for immature audiences. Spoilers and general political incorrectness can often be expected, so listener discretion is advised. They must be destroyed on sight! Okay, guys, it's October, and we're now at episode 77 of They Must Be Destroyed on Sight, a movie podcast, and I'm joined by my two horrific co-hosts, Daniel Harper and Paul Romali. How are you guys doing? Pretty horrific, uh, yeah. <laughs> and, of course, we're going to be doing all horror all this month. Uh, we got some nice bonus content coming out. Uh, you'll actually probably hear the first bonus episode before you hear this episode. It should be me and Paul talking about... Uh, Lumberto Bava's Demons and Demons 2. That should probably come out the day before this episode comes out. So you'll have all demons kinds of were sh- just uh, Demons just had its anniversary here a little bit ago. So Yeah, that's right. Everyone watch Demons and Demons 2. Yeah, well, listen to our podcast about it first, then watch it. And then yell at us. Yeah, tell us how wrong we were about everything. Wrong. Yeah, so um, we do have one comment to get to here. From our friend Mike Murphy from the Badasses, Boobs, and Body Count podcast. He was talking about our episode on uh, Once Upon a Time in the West. He said, great episode, guys. And he says, also, thanks for covering the great silence. I'll have to hunt that down and give it a watch since I've never seen it. For your information, composers creating scores before a film gets shot isn't all that uncommon. Uh, Morricone, however, could score a film in a sleep, which is, yeah, I agree with that totally. And he says, yes, he's that good, but I... I don't have to tell you that. Yeah, exactly. Thank you, Mike. I think we can just move on to uh, whatever we've watched in the last little while. I know Daniel has something, so I'll let you start there, sir. Sure. I actually saw a movie theatrically this week. I went to see, um, basically my wife and I did a date night, and so we went to see the new movie Hunt for the Wilder People. This is uh, in theaters right now. It's got Sam Neill as a, a kind of a rascible uh, Australian outbag. Probably New Zealand. This is shot in New Zealand. Uh, I, yeah, I you better. Yeah, you I better. Just, I just, I, uh, sorry, I'm, I'm a beer and a half in already. So uh, that was, I caught myself before I even finished the uh, sentence. So uh, nobody, nobody get angry at me there. But uh, no, this is a New Zealand production. And Sam Neill is this kind of a rascible man who uh, lives out in the bush. He and his uh, wife adopt a kid who's kind of a troubled kid. He's been living on the streets. And um, I knew nothing about this film going in. I was kind of like, oh, it's going to be this kind of quirky, heartwarming kind of comedy. It ends up being a little more interesting than that. It's uh, definitely a uh, movie where basically the two protagonists, Ben, the little boy, and uh, Sam Neill, spend most of the film uh, kind of wandering through the wilderness and getting into um, vaguely uh, defined adventures. They become famous. They are um, uh, hunted by by, uh, child welfare services. It's actually better than it sounds. I mean, I'm describing it, and I know it sounds like a bunch of fucking okay. bullshit. It's a gorgeous film, shot on location in New Zealand. You know, fucking Lord of the Rings has nothing on this in terms of like yeah. just some beautiful vistas. Uh, Sam Neill is amazing. The little kid's amazing. I don't have his name in front of me. This was a, a really fun little date movie, and I would recommend it. Nice. It's a moderate recommend. It's you, not like you guys, go see this. Now. You had me at. Uh, wanders the wildernesses and has adventures i'm like that was my childhood I'm like this is i'm totally <laughs> yeah. in on this you actually had me at sam neill because he's one of my sort of yeah. favorite underrated kind of actors honestly so. that's called a crush it is yeah but i mean 
the, everyone everyone just thinks, oh, he's the guy from Jurassic Park, and it's like he's no, he's got all kinds of really impressive little performances under his belt. So well, clearly, the they forgot the mouth of madness. Mm-hmm. Those people forgot all about Memoirs of an Invisible Man. So, yeah. uh, everyone wants to forget about that fucking film. <laughs> John Carpenter wants to forget about that film. That's why he plays video games and smokes pot all day now. <laughs> and killed Adrian Barbeau's face. Yeah. Yeah, we had we, 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 offline. We were we were having the uh, the the unpleasant uh, theory that uh, the few years Adrian Barbeau was married to John Carpenter, John Carpenter did a soul sucking job on her and prematurely aged her. But you know, that, that was just a theory. Uh, too bad. Anything you watched, Paul? You want to talk about? No. No. Puss in okay. boots. Just lots of puss in boots. Also, oh, puss in boots. Is, yeah, is that I mean, a, is that something you watched or something you did? No, 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 no. This isn't the erotic adventures of Puss in Boots. I'm actually oh. just watching the adventures of Puss in Boots before mm-hmm. I go to bed at night. Yeah. Day, okay. whatever. <laughs> go to bed at day. <laughs> sorry. Yeah. yeah. No, I'm sorry. I've, I've been a little bit laxed on the... On the uh, again, my, my house is gutted, so I, I haven't uh, had a lot of chance to watch movies. All right. Oh, I will, I will throw something else in. As mm-hmm. of October 1st, Once Upon a Time in the West is now available on Netflix again. Which would have oh, been nice. more convenient for me awesome. to be able to rewatch it for the podcast last week. <laughs> yeah. Um, oh. So I've been uh, rewatching Once Upon a Time in the West a little bit because um, I'm like, fuck it, it's on Netflix. I'm gonna watch it right now. Beautiful, beautiful. I, I'm gonna so watch it. let's let's redo the podcast. We'll scrap the previous one and. If we redo, no, no, if we'll we keep, redo this podcast, if we redo it, I promise I will watch it without fast forwarding it. oh one thing i did watch that i want to mention is and i'm sad to say that unfortunately i got a chance to watch the new phantasm film phantasm 5 ravager and goddamn was it sad so fucking sad this isn't necessarily a series has been known for its consistently good quality anyway i mean you know put that aside but uh, I, I went into this with some hopes that they would try to wrap things up a little bit better and try to tie some loose ends together, and they do a little bit, but it's a it's an underfunded uh, mess that should have been made 15 years ago when the cast was still young enough to kind of pull it off without looking like they should be cashing in their uh, old age security checks. It's just kind of sad to see Angus Grimm in his last role. He, he gives his all, but his, his role is kind of limited. Very, very few scenes with him in it. You can tell that they... Probably had to work around his failing health. Reggie Bannister is... Jesus, he looks as old as Angus Scrim does in this film. Right. And you know what? I mean, the series kind of focuses around Reggie ben- Bannister's character. Like, he kind of became the de facto hero in the series. He's kind of like the budget Ash, almost, in a way, when you think about it. Yeah. Um, and, I mean, they try, man. They try. The acting's actually pretty decent in it. And they bring back uh, what, Michael Baldwin, and they bring back uh, the guy who played Jody in, in the original one. Right, And they do try to tie it up and they try to, for a while they have this interesting angle where maybe all this stuff is just in Reggie Bannister's uh, character's mind the whole time where he's in a nursing home and shit. And then they play with this dual reality stuff and alternate parallel worlds and things like that. In an attempt to tie things up, they just things make things a bit more confusing. And overall, like the effects are really, they for the most part look unfinished and bad. You, you can tell there just wasn't the money there. And I just, I just feel sad of watching it. Like I, after I finished watching it, I didn't have a smile on my face. I didn't feel good revisiting these old characters that I grew up watching. I just felt like, goddamn, 
No, you're, wa- you're watching them die on screen in front of you, basically. Pretty much. That's, uh, I mean, I... it's a morbid thing to say, but it's true. And <clears throat> I mean, it, it should have been made 15 years ago when that, that would have been the ideal situation. But here it's just kind of, it just left me depressed. I just watched it. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I was so depressed. Mm-hmm. I, I uh, mentioned to you that I've met Angus Grimm. Uh-huh. I've met, you know, and he's a wonderful man. Like I, I've spoke with him and sat down with him and it was, he was a, a very, very, very wonderful man. But to see him, you know, this was 17 years ago, 18 years ago. I mean, that kind of thing. So to see him now on screen, trying to like try to do a role and this and that before he, he finally, you know, we all know he passed away would be a very depressing thing. Yeah. And very, yeah. something that, that is very sad to see. And that's the same thing with Reggie. You know, I mean, Reggie was my, was an awesome character. He was fun. You know, he was just the fun guy that with the quad shotgun. So yeah. to see him now, I mean, I completely understand what you're saying. Yeah. I mean, I'll say this, like the heart was really in it. Like they really tried, but it's just the bodies gave out basically. It's just, hmm. and then Don Coscarelli didn't direct this one. He just did production and uh, writing on this one. So uh, it doesn't even feel like a phantasm film. You can tell Coscarelli's style isn't really there as far as the direction goes. It, it just looks like every other direct-to-video low-budget horror movie these days. I know there's a lot of people sort of in the horror movie community online who are like excited to see it or, you know, were hesitant to see it, and I think some people were maybe giving it a little too much credit, you know, because they, they want it to be good, and they, you know, they're trying to sugarcoat it a little bit, but uh, it's it's not good. At this point, I'd say don't watch any of the sequels. Just watch the original Phantasm. I like ending. up to, actually, I didn't mind four, but up to three. I actually like three and four, but, I mean, fuck, man. Uh, I'm, at, I'm at the point now where I only want to watch the first one over and over again. The first one is actually my least favorite. Really? Yeah, I don't know, something about it. Like, I can watch it, but, like, as soon as I get done watching Phantasm, because I have it on Laserdisc, I have it, you know, I've seen it a million times. And I go, but, okay, now I want to watch three. <laughs> it's just, like, it's one of those, like, okay, now, okay, we got the ball started, let's keep rolling. Yeah. And that's how it is with me. But I actually didn't mind four at all. But this just does sound, and I'm only one beer in, so this just sounds very depressing. Well, I mean, you're good at that. You're a bitter maritimer. You just yeah, well. You killed me, Lee. You killed yeah, well, me. believe me, I'm very unhappy to report that it's not that good, because like, I really wanted it to be good. But yeah, uh, we'll move on to hopefully something more happier, like uh, movies about uh, zombie killing and rape on trains, you know, much yes. more upbeat subject matter. <laughs> oh. you, what I call finish? Tuesday night. <laughs> uh, Lee, did you finish uh, Luke Cage? Yes, I did. Luke Cage was awesome, man. I am uh, seven episodes in, so... Uh, uh, what, are, what are you thinking so far? I'm really looking to see how it ends before I'm, I'm you know, it, it really is going to be kind of how they finish this plot, you know? But I, it's pretty amazing. I mean, it's it's really nice stuff. I might I might rewatch it again after uh, finishing it. It's, it's um, I'm I'm definitely rewatching it. I mean, it's it's a really rich text. I like how it it does set itself distinctly from the other two Marvel series. Not only does it just do it with the performances and the fact that like almost the entire cast is black. Like it it actually does feel like hey hey it's actually set in Harlem. There's probably gonna be more. There's actually probably gonna be more black characters than any other character in 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 the in the show, right? And the music is, like, so New York-centric, and it's this really great mix of classic 70s stuff. Like, the fucking Delphonics perform in the series. 
It, yeah. Like, that's the best. Like, I, I fucking marked out for that. I said, holy shit, the Delphonics are on stage performing a song. That's awesome. Yeah, the soundtrack's is great. Like, it, it comes goes everywhere from, like, the fucking classic stuff from, like, Motown, Delphonics to fucking Wu-Tang Clan, for fuck's sakes. The, the real sort of classic hip-hop stuff before it became, like, super commercialized and bullshit. Yeah, there's a pretty brilliant action sequence that's uh, to Wu-Tang Clan, so uh, you can't you can't complain about that. For the two people listening to this who haven't seen it already, go check it out. It's pretty awesome. Yeah. I think you'll be happy with the results, though, Daniel. When, yeah, like, I'm, I'm looking yeah. forward to it. I just didn't get a chance to finish it last night before I had to go to bed because I had to work today. Fucking bullshit. Yeah, Capitalism. that's stuff. That's stuff. Bills and monetary gain. I'm going to buy beer, though, so, you know. Yeah, that, that's true. It's awesome. All right, we're going to be basically redoing an episode here. I mean, the episode's so nice, we had to do it twice, apparently. Mm-hmm. Uh, New York, we, New York, baby. Daniel wasn't in with this. Uh, the first time we did this, uh, Paul and I just basically did this as a sort of one-off as, hey, if we needed something to fill in for a week, we could throw it in. And the audio fucked up. I, I will say, the, the episode was brilliant. I mean, I think we really pushed the boundaries of film criticism in that episode, and we really had some insightful, deep things to say. And it's lost forever now, but uh, well, we'll try to recoup some of that loss. I kind of like, I'm kind of glad because I was like, well, I kind of wanted Daniel to sit down and watch some of these too, because it's a learning experience. I mean, I mean, you guys, you know, I've obviously, especially during the Spaghetti Westerns has said, hey, watch this movie. Okay. What the fuck is this? And I watched it and I go, oh my God, I, I just came a little, I can say, cause I, I recommended these two films and I was like, hey, I think you guys should watch these. So it's kind of fun. I can recommend films too, so. Okay, and the first one we're going to be doing is Night Train Murders from 1975. It's the night before Christmas. Margaret and Lisa are going home for the holidays. But don't bother to wish them Merry Christmas. Their future isn't going that far. Let's find a compartment with our people. Well now, look who's here. You can say to yourself, it's only a movie. But it won't help this time. And don't waste time looking for an ending you can live with. I think you should take them right off, dear. Or we'll never see your little monkey. No! Let her do it by herself! Come on, you bitch! What are you waiting for? Your ticket takes you one stop beyond the end of the line. The last stop on the night train. Every seat in this theater becomes a coach seat to hell. And if you're in one, you'll feel it. Let's do it another, huh? You can say to yourself, it's only a movie. But it won't help. You'll 
know you've been closer to the last stop than any living soul would want to be. Hey, we'll only cut her a little. He'll see you'll love it once your virginity's gone. You know, I was a flower this way. Maybe this is too close. The last stop on the night train. Directed by Aldo Ledo, written by Roberto Inficelli, uh, Renato Izzo, who we know from the Sabata films, actually, wrote all those ones. Uh, Aldo Ledo also uh, wrote in this, and Ettore Sanzo. And it is starring uh, Flavio Bucci as Blackie, Maka Merle as Lady on the Train, Gianfranco Di Grassi as Curly, Enrico Maria Salerno as Professor Giulio Stradi, Marina Berti as Laura Stratti. Franco Fabrizi as perverted train passenger. That's a great character. Jesus. Irene Miracle as Margaret Hoffenbach. And Laura D'Angelo as Lisa Stratti. And I'll let you get to the uh, synopsis there, Daniel. Two young college girls, Margaret and Lisa, are traveling by crowded train to stay with Lisa's parents over the Christmas holiday. While on the train, they meet up with a pair of young men, Blackie and Curly, who have a serious creep vibe. Even if you discount the fact that in the opening credits, we, the audience, watch them murder a street Santa for his wallet. Soon, Blackie will meet up with a woman on the train, a blonde who is never named, and after he attempts to rape her, she makes it unnecessary, as she's incredibly attracted to the authoritarian fascist type, it seems. Margaret and Lisa sneak off the train in Austria and move to a direct line that will take them to their destination. It's dark, silent, and virtually empty. The girls serve themselves a makeshift Christmas dinner and have seemingly gotten on with their lives when it is real that Blackie and Curly have also switched trains and, joined by the nameless blonde, have set their malevolent sights on the two young women. A bit of psychosexual drama follows. We spend some time in the cabin with the five as lewd acts of increasing bluntness and violence are perpetrated upon the girls. The blonde woman seems to act as catalyst, encouraging the girls to participate, and things come to a head when Blackie attempts to penetrate one of the girls, a virgin, with his flaccid cock. Unable to do the deed, he declares that since she's a virgin, it must be the hymen getting in his way, and decides to snip the offending bit of tissue with a knife. The girl bleeds out, waking the other from her post-rape reverie, and a struggle follows. We end with both women dead, their clothes and items thrown from the train onto forbidden rocks. During this sequence, we've been cutting back to Lisa's parents' house, comfortably upper middle class, and enjoying a Christmas dinner with friends. They dance, they discuss politics, and they are none the wiser as to the experiences of the young women. When they arrive to meet the train and the two do not appear, they are apprehensive, but upon meeting the trio of sociopaths, they are none the wiser, even agreeing to take the three to their home in order to treat the blonde's injuries sustained during the evening. Gradually, the trio realize that they are in the home of one of the girls they murdered, and just as gradually, the father realizes the true circumstances surrounding the girl's absence. A pitched battle follows, ending with the two sociopathic men murdered and the blonde woman feigning ignorance and innocence. The politics of this, of course, remain ever murky. Yeah, and this is uh, one of these films that's in the wake of Wes Craven and Sean Cunningham's Last House on the Left. Mm-hmm. Essentially, this is Last House on the Left on a train. Um, yeah. it, it also fits firmly in the sort of rape-revenge subgenre of, like, I Spit on Your Grave. And, of course, all these can sort of trace themselves back to uh, Bergman's uh, The Virgin Spring to a certain degree, although (laughs) these are not as nuanced as Bergman's film was. These are much more brutal and very matter-of-the-fact. Yeah, uh, Daniel, since uh, this is your first time watching this one, uh, I'll let you get into your sort of initial thoughts on this. Never before have I seen a film that wanted to shock me so much and which bored me so much. You know, maybe for 75, I, I kind of get... I I know this ended up on the Video Nasties list. Mm-hmm. You know, it's hard to say I enjoyed or didn't enjoy this film. 
you know, it's kind of, it's an experience. I'm glad I watched it. I think it's worth watching um, if for no, th- no other reason than to kind of understand what the culture was kind of doing in the 70s. This is a film that it's trying to do something interesting by intercutting this sort of middle-class political discussion with these kind of brutal rapes and, and eventual murders. But it's not doing it in any kind of a sophisticated way, and it really just kind of feels exploitative and lurid, and not even in a graphic way. There was nothing in this that shocked me in the sense mm-hmm. of, like, wow, I can't believe they went there. I mean, obviously, like, this includes a sequence in which a man, like, you know, bleeds a woman out from her pussy. So, um, you know, it's not like... <laughs> oh, this film doesn't go there. I mean, it does go there. Uh, but at the same time, it's kind of curiously detached from that. It also treats the young women as, as purely as victims. They don't really have any kind of personalities. They don't have any kind of human response. I, I kind of feel like they're just kind of playthings for the director as much as for the, uh, the sociopaths. <laughs> I uh, liked the performance of the uh, woman who plays the woman on the train. I think she's kind of on the right wavelength. I think she's kind of pushing this in a direction that kind of gives it a little bit more of a, a nuance, kind of a uh, a psychology, but mm-hmm. really, I'm just kind of. I feel like these are. Uh, I mean, it's it's a low budget kind of horror flick. It's designed to kind of deliver a certain kind of violence and blood. It does what it does. It's not it's not uninteresting, but it didn't really do much for me. It didn't give me anything to really sink my teeth into. And you know, it's fine. <laughs> I don't know. Okay. It's it's funny. Like that's that's kind of all I have to say. <laughs> uh, Paul, what's your overall thoughts? Okay. Well, I, I mean, I've seen this a long time ago. Mm-hmm. But uh, I remember watching it, and um, I was—I mean, I was well well aware of the rape genre kind of style films and stuff like that. And uh, when I watched it, I was actually wondering—I didn't know what date it was, so I had to go and research it. And I found out it was made three years after *The Last House on the Left* because I got *The Last House on the Left* vibe out of out of the film. So yeah. I kind of wondered. I okay, and then it made me question, like, okay, who did the what first? You know what I mean? I was just wondering. I like this film much more than any other film of the rape revenge genre. Personally, I like the the nuance and the style. I like the the the, the way it was shot. I like the the music. I like pretty much everything about it more so than just the cl- the classic, you know, Last House on the Ledge of the Park, Last House on Dead End Street, Last House on the Left. You know, kind of films. I think it's more interesting than Daniel did, uh, obviously. But I like uh, I like how it plays off the fact that you know this the the maestro everything is this uh, you know kind of deviant upper class female yeah. that is kind of you know that's she's the reason why everything's going on. She's the reason why everything gets pushed to those wrong limits. And it's actually interesting seeing how you know the the scumbags that you see in the film, especially later when it, things are going way wrong starting to go way wrong is like put the fucking knife down what are you doing you fucking idiot what are you doing and then she just keeps on making things happen like this empowered you know you know empowered sexual female is making things go worse and worse and worse and then she's the one who actually ends up grabbing the knife and shoving it into the woman yeah she's the actual murderer she's the you know what i mean like she and and the best part of the film as I said, as you can already, I mean, people who know Mass House on the Left already kind of know the, the end of the film. But the best part of the film is she walks away scot-free without any blood on her little pretty coat, you know, at the end of the film. And I'm like, wow, that's that's crazy because obviously she can't be a bad person because she's she's a very proper female. So it can't be her. You know what I mean? And it's just a very interesting play on stuff. And it was one of those films where I was like, why didn't I watch this? 
you know, 20 years ago. It was one of those films when I got done watching it. Well, that's that's the question that's kind of left up in the air, though. At the end of the film. Do you think she gets away of it, or do you think she's going to end up getting arrested? Because And then, at me, it was just scot-free. You know what I mean? Like, that's, that's what I got out of it. Because I kind of read that when she puts her veil down, that she's almost signaling that she knows she's maybe at the end of it. Like, it, it's going to be, she's going to get arrested or apprehended. Mm-hmm. See, that's when I when I uh, when I looked at it, I looked at it as that's how you see her at the beginning of the film too, just off on another day. You know what I mean? Like, what did she just do at the beginning of the film that she got away with? That she's just going to go back to doing again in the next film or the next part of her life? You know what I mean? That's how I looked at it. I'm kind of with Paul on this. I mean, I, I kind of. I mean, she's definitely the most interesting character in the film. He's kind of the only real character in the film, <laughs> as far yeah, as yeah. Well, the the two young, the, the two young guys just become toys of hers. Toys and cannon fodder. Yeah, but there, there's, there's the horny one and the druggy one. And I mean, she manipulates them. I mean, they're definitely you know disgusting young sociopathic thugs. But at the same time, you get the feeling that they probably maybe wouldn't necessarily take things this far unless they had been pushed by her. Apparently, this director—I I can't remember the title. I should have wrote it down. Apparently, he did a uh, giallo before this that also sort of pushed on these themes of upper class, older generation using the next generation for their own devices. This doesn't seem to be kind of a theme, apparently, that uh, the director was interested in. So you see maybe little hints of this, but I don't think the film really pushes it all that much. I mean, Daniel, you're, you're spot on. Like, there's these hints of political discussion about different class issues. and Well, we're introduced to the blonde, and she's having a conversation where she's admiring of totalitarian China. I mean, this is yeah. right in the heart of the Great Leap Forward and, you know, mass starvation, you know authoritarian communism and all that sort of thing i mean she's absolutely coded i mean in 1975 we would have absolutely like basically she's a nazi like that's yeah. sort of what we're supposed to think of her well she's, um, she's essentially ills of the ss or whatever right like yeah. right right I mean, she, she's essentially that sort of character but because she's kind of speaking in terms of like oh i'm not I'm not actually actually advocating for this. I'm just having a like very polite conversation about like on a train with people yep. about like, political philosophy. Sort of Can't we and be civil? That's, that's sort of contrasted with the with Lisa's father, whose name I don't have at my, my tongue right now. But Lisa's father is kind of you know they're talking about like crime. How do you deal with crime and um, the various ways? And he's like, well, no, uh, we just have to. Uh, he, he's got a very kind of um, touchy feely uh, kind of response to these things right? he, he turns you know? into he turns into charles bronson from death wish essentially i, I mean i i connect this with straw dogs in a, mm-hmm. in, a, in a kind of way you know i which is i think a much better film that kind of deals with these issues yeah um, you're right actually that's good pull there uh, i actually didn't think about straw dogs but that's actually uh even more closely connected to this in a lot of ways i think there there are hints of like this sort of older generation younger generation kind of conflict this sort of mm-hmm. class conflict there's the little jokey segment where the two uh, young thugs are rushing around the train looking in the different compartments and they run across these singing Germans doing this, <laughs> this German song. And then he goes, Hail Hitler! And they all go, Hail Hitler! <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, you bastard. I, I like that. It was, it was good. Here's the thing about this film I really like compared to most of the films in this sort of genre. And I agree with Paul. I think this is probably the best one of the genre for me as well. It's because it actually doesn't wallow in the excesses of the genre like Last Host and Left did. I'm not against excessive violence and rape and gore and stuff in films. I have no problem with that. But a lot of the films in this genre, they kind of make that the point of the film where it's like, here's the idea. I want you to walk out on this film and not see the entire film. 
Uh, a lot of these films seem seem to try to hit for that shock value where they just have nothing else to say. And I think this film actually tries to have something to say. It, it, it doesn't necessarily successfully do it, but I do appreciate that this film kind of is a little detached from the violence. It's not as uh, exploitive. It's not as uh, graphic as those films. And I think generally the direction is actually pretty good in this. Like I, the feeling of claustrophobia in, in the train, the way it's shot, is very well done. I like the use of the blue filter with the lighting in the night scenes. I think is incredibly fucking creepy. Like the, this, the, this. I think does, that's the only time we will ever say I really like the use of the blue filter. Hey, uh, <laughs> the, the, those three, those three fucking sociopaths sitting on that fucking bench, looking across at them. That that shot of them. That that is fucking creepy as fuck. I, I actually I, do. I actually do agree. I mean, I, I was kind of being a little bit dismissive earlier. I do think the film looks really good. I really admire some of the some of the way it looks. I just think it's kind of ultimately empty. I feel like it's reaching for these kinds of like commentary, this sort of political idea, but it's not really saying anything. And that's kind of where I just kind of you know I just kind of shrug my shoulders at it. You know, I think one of the most interesting elements of the film is actually the. Uh, the guy who kind of wanders in on the train car and he's yeah. wearing the Robert Evans style glasses. I can't help but think that that's supposed to be like some sort of reference to Hollywood. Essentially, he's like a big Hollywood producer. Visually, like semiotically, that's what he's supposed to represent. And so he's watching this and then we're watching him watch this and it's it becomes a little bit of a meta-narrative. And then he ends up raping the girl, right? So yeah. Yeah. Um, He's like, well, we'll get some of that. I mean, they, they essentially force him to rape the girl, which is uh, kind of a... They, I mean, didn't, they didn't really force him. No, well, 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 here, well, here's the thing. Like the guy was, like, he's obviously, like, he's, he's credited as perverted train passenger. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's his fucking character name. The guy's just going around looking for someone to fuck, and he gets the opportunity at one point. Like, he walks into one car, and this woman's this this attractive blonde's like, "Hey, I'm ready for you." He's like, "No, we've never talked. We've never met. Whatever." Because she's willing to give it to him. Like, this guy's obviously looking for a victim as well. And he gets the opportunity with these fucking psychos who fucking, hey, come into this car and rape this girl. We, we got her trapped. You can you can do it. There, there is this sort of idea, I mean, you know, with the car full of priests, the car full of the, the religious people. And, uh, you know, there's this uh, kind of uh, pedophilia, you know, yeah, it's kind of going on in that moment. In terms of the the various characters on the train, you know, the kind of the, the interactions that the girls have, uh, you do get a sense that this is just this like fallen world. This is this kind of world of disgusting people and everyone, you know, that it, that it isn't like that. The interactions that kind of go on in the film that make that make up the film are, are almost just kind of a just one instance of what's kind of going on in this world in general that there that this is a violent disgusting seedy place full of uh people being forced to do things against their will and, and blood and gore and all that sort of thing and that we're just kind of following one thread of this which um i do admire that element of it i admire that it, it goes there that it is trying to kind of portray this kind of larger world i think i'm just i think i, I think it just left me cold overall though i, I just kind of you know that's, that's fair. What do we uh, what do we think though of the uh, the soundtrack? We've got Ennio Morricone doing most of the music, and the title song is uh, "A Flower's All You Need," and it's got Ennio Morricone paired up with Greek singer Demis mm-hmm. Roussos, who is in a progressive rock band in the sixties uh, and seventies called Aphrodite's Child. It also had Vangelis in it, notable uh, there, and of course uh, Roussos went on to actually have a really good career of his own in especially in Europe. It's got the he's got his really sort of, you know, high pitched vocals 
and it's got this really kind of almost kind of flower child kind of uh, song of the 60s kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But the way they sort of juxtapose it on the subject matter of this film, I yeah. think it's very, very effective. Like that, that's mm-hmm. one of the things that really stands out in this film for me is this juxtaposition of this really kind of seemingly fucking put a flower in your hair kind of fucking San Francisco hippie dippy song. But at the same time, if you actually listen to the lyrics, it's like this about this guy dying on the street and his puddle of blood looks like a fucking flower blooming or some shit. And then it just feels really fucking dark. And it it almost kind of connects with the innocence that's destroyed in the film by these fucking thugs. And I, I really do like that. Like, no, I agree. I agree. I love the, I love the score of the film. I love the, it took me a little bit to like, you know, once I actually watched it once or twice, it did, like you said, you connect with the, the theme song, the, the theme of the music and uh, the, the main, the main theme. Uh, but then also now that I've seen once upon a time in the West, yes, I, I also got the harmonica setting, how Morricone sets the, the feeling and the dread and with, the music and, and the and harmonica and it starts you know. with him playing it it becomes exactly the soundtrack. Yeah. it yeah. became the soundtrack and i was like because that's what what initially got me with the film and i didn't know about once upon a time in the west but i was like wow this you know they use the harmonica you know and then he has his almost like the song of doom that comes on when you hear it you know the bad guys are coming and then i watched once upon a time in the west and it all came back you know, and I and it, yeah. it came full circle for me. So it was a big, it was a, it was good for me to see that. I, I definitely noticed a harmonica. In fact, I saw Morricone's name, and I'm like, oh, they 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 threw me a bone on this one. You know, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> give me a Morricone score. You know, and then of course the harmonica shows up, and you're like, oh, this is uh, very apropos. We're doing this immediately after Once Upon a Time in the West. That's mm-hmm. brilliant. Regarding the kind of flower child uh, kind of idea, I mean, you know, I kind of missed that a little bit. So this may be one I, I'm. Listening to you talk about it, I now think maybe I should actually see this again at some point in the not-too-distant future and just kind of look at at least some some isolated scenes and kind of look how they work. But, I mean, it could very easily kind of fit into that, like, 70s malaise kind of thing, whereas this mm-hmm. is the mid-70s, and we are kind of... So much of what we've talked about, particularly in the crime films we talked about in the 70s, was about that kind of, like, we're in that post-Flower Child, you know, everybody's kind of got a hangover era, and um, look at how nasty the world is now that we don't have this sort of idealism. So I think that is something that you could definitely say is being played with with the film. I think maybe for me, I just don't know the genre well enough to kind of fit it into exactly what it's uh, what it's really trying to do. Um, so maybe some of the nuances are lost on me. That's a song that's now an earworm for me. Like, and, it, and not even in a bad way. Like usually you say earworm and it's like something that's annoying, but you can't stop listening to it. I actually love that song. It, it, it's something that's in my fucking playlist now all the time. But uh this song has the distinction of having several fucking titles, more than usual for an Italian film. Uh, of course, uh, we're going by the Night Train Murders title, which is the one you see on most DVDs. You mean, uh, you mean, you mean the film, not the song? Yeah, the film, yep. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> did I say song? Yes. Uh, Lee's drunker than we are, I think. Apparently <laughs> so, yeah. Um, but the film is also known as Don't Ride on the Late Night Trains. Late Night Trains, Last House Part 2, Last Stop on the Night Train, New House on the Left, Second House on the Left, The New House on the Left, Torture <laughs> Train, and Xmas Massacre. The New Murders on the Block. Yeah. Also Zombie 3. Yeah. <laughs> Zombie 18. Kind of surprised it's not. Um, Demons 6. 
DVD t- details for this one. You can find a Blue Underground Bare Bones DVD for two- in 2004. They re-released it on Blu-ray in 2012 with apparently vastly improved fucking print. Uh, 88 Films also has a region-free Blu-ray that has the Italian audio as well, if you're interested in this. Uh, but most of the other releases only have the English audio in it. So uh, I think we can uh, sort of wrap up here with this one. Uh, I'll throw it to you first, Daniel, your sort of final thoughts on this one. I think I need to revisit it. I would like to uh, check out the Italian version, the Italian language version, and uh, maybe see if that uh, strikes me a little bit better. Um, I was not able to watch this with subtitles, which I think sometimes improves my opinion of some of these, just because mm-hmm. I have a hard time hearing dialogue, so I might have missed some of the details of it. I really liked the, the woman on the train. I really liked the blonde. I think she's she's a great character. I wish uh, I wish the film focused a little bit more on her. Um, mm-hmm. I enjoyed the film. I'd check it out. I'd, I'd, I would recommend it. I would actively recommend it to people that kind of interested in the genre. I would also very much like to see more films by this director, because it is really excellently directed. So, um, But overall, uh, you know, I don't know. I'll I'll see it again some at some point and uh, and maybe give it another shake and uh, let's know what to think then. Cool, Paul. Your sort of final thoughts on this one? Oh, I enjoyed the film. I, I I've seen it a few times. Um, I like the the different approach to certain things. I do like the the, the empowered, you know, sexually empowered a female being the actual, you know, as I said, maestro of all this horrible things and they using people against this to to provoke her her own needs and her own wants or desires. Very Ilsa-like, as we said before. Yeah. Just the best of that genre that I've ever seen. I think it's beautifully shot. The, the, the copy that I have and the one that I've seen a long time ago, they were very well done. I mean, the, the film looks very well. And the, the, the nuance, the, especially when they get onto the night train, you hear the harmonica. Like It gives you these nice little nuances and feelings that, that I don't get out of a lot of other films of that genre. They're too raw. They're too harsh. They're too in your face. They're not, they're not trying to be a film. They're trying to be a shock value as this one actually is a film. We don't get a penis getting bit off like we do in uh, last house on the left shore. Yeah. I'll avoid that one, but it's kind of interesting. I love the, the end. I love the father's reaction. I like the fact that when he ever, they, they put the, the, the ugly blue tie of death that's in the film actually, <laughs> links them all together and i do quite enjoy watching the dad uh, kill the bad guys i mean that was kind of interesting and the end of the film to me is the thing that made the film the film it is for me is while you you watch her just you know it can't be her it can't she has nothing to do with it she's just an innocent well you know up class you know stylish woman she can't obviously obviously it's only the the guys that can be the bad guys you know that kind of that, that mindset yeah, and, those 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 two vicious thugs forced her yeah, into all exactly. of this. Yeah, exactly. Oh, oh, oh! It wasn't me. Oh, I'm sorry. And oh, watching Curly just fucking on the ground like a pig getting kicked in the face. Then you know, yeah. <laughs> like and they say, "Oh, we gotta wipe the blood off my shoes too because we can't get marred by this trash." Uh, it's very interesting, and I thought it was a very fun film for me. And it was a film that. I mean, I love the idea. I love the the shots when she falls off the train into the rocks, and, and I mean, they, they chuck her over the side. I mean, just. I mean, I like the film as a whole, in general. It's something for me that, that I was really happy when I finally got to watch it. And it was like, wow, it just opened another door for me to, to watch more films, and especially more Italian films. Because, you know, those are the... When I was starting to, you know, get into Italian films. So, yeah. yep. Again, for me, this is kind of the, the best one for the genre. I mean, if, if you're looking for a rape-revenge film to get into, I mean, if, if, if that's what, something you sit down one day, and I really want to watch a rape-revenge film. 
this mm-hmm. is probably the one I would recommend you watch because a, a lot of them just fucking they're they're not making a movie. They're just trying to shock people. And if that's what you're looking for, then fine, go and watch that. I'm not going to criticize you for doing that. But this one actually does try to be a film and actually does try to put some ideas out there. Again, I think we've covered not necessarily 100% successful in doing so. But at least this is trying to do something. It's trying to be a film. It's trying to have something to say about it. And it's trying not to wallow in the shit that a lot of these other films wallow in just for the sake of it. And basically, for a cheap Italian ripoff of this sort of genre, surprisingly fucking just head over heels better than the rest of the genre. Much better. Yes. That it's ripping off. So uh, that, that's something to be uh, lauded, I think. And uh, I do really like this film a lot. And again, that fucking soundtrack, man. That it, It's kind of weird trying to make that one of the key things to recommend on this film. But yeah, that, that, that soundtrack, I love it. I absolutely, absolutely love it. Did you ever see a film at such a young age it left you traumatized with cinematic wounds? Ah, necrophilia. Ah, ah, ah. It's a dead issue, man. Don't, don't push it. Cinema PsyOps is a weekly podcast documenting an ongoing experiment on the mind of an unwilling test subject. No one should have to watch this movie. Oh, no one should have to watch this. No one should have to watch this movie. Surprisingly, it's not a topic that a lot of people really want to tackle. I'm shocked, prudes. I know, really. Right? It's the next sexual frontier that no one wants to explore. I am, in the most sincerest of senses, disappointed in you. It takes a powerful goddess like Connie, jam her arm down the monster's throat and kill it. I'm still tripping out over that. Even as a kid, I was like, I gotta find a girl like that. Every week, I I get a new look of disappointment that I never thought I could get out of. It's unimaginable. At 12 years old, you should not be watching this movie. Obviously. At 13, you should not be. 14, you shouldn't be. I'm not entirely sure even 17-year-olds should be watching this Just because you're offended by something doesn't mean that you have the right to demand that it doesn't exist. Watching this film again, I had all of this like little nerd glee with everything that kept little history doll popping up at you. So I totally loved this film. Hey, I know why you you couldn't see that. It's because your brain's warped watching this shit at twelve years old. Yeah, this is this is a rough movie. I told you ahead of time when we were getting ready to do it that it was. How did you watch this shit at twelve? Because physical wounds heal, cinematic ones don't. Listen to Cinema Psyops. Movies need only three things. Badasses. You tell me who you want done, and I'll do the hell out of it. A chick with drive who don't take no jive. Boobs. Do you know that the female breast, known to be the source of life since Eve, can be deadly weapons? And body counts. The Mathematics of Murder and Menace. The BB and BC podcast is your source for exploitation film discussion of B-movies. You can find the show on iTunes and Stitcher Radio by searching for BB and BC podcast. You can also listen to each episode directly from the show's website located at badassesboobsandbodycounts.com. Let's go to work. Clytus, I'm bored. What plaything can you offer me today? An obscure body in the SK system, Your Majesty. The inhabitants refer to it as the planet Earth. How peaceful it looks. (laughs) 
most effective, your majesty. Will you destroy this earth? Destroy it utterly. Send Rick and Danny in wool rocket Ajax. So, just destroy it? That's what Ming said. Don't you ever listen? Well, there's no arguing with Ming. Hail Ming. Wait! You see those transmissions on the Visua screen? Crow? Nightmare on Elm Street? Chud too? Black Belt Jones? Nightbreed? What's a critter? Oh, I've seen those things. Flash? I guess we could wait a while before the destruction. Yeah, and watch the movies. And talk about them. The Helming Power Hour. Disobedience to Ming. For now. You can find us at Legion Podcast. You can find us on Facebook. iTunes. We're on Twitter. We're on Instagram. At www. You know what? Just Google it for yourself. Just Google it, you bastages. Helming. Breaking two? Electric Boogaloo? Samurai Cop? Army of Darkness? Flash Dance? <laughs> we might destroy the planet if it's Flash Dance. <laughs> Looking for something different in your podcast library? Then why not check out the podcast Under the Stairs? I'm the host Duncan McLeish and joining me each week will be a special guest as we examine some classic old school horror favourites as well as some modern classics. That's not to say that we don't tackle some of the, let's say, more questionable entries into the horror genre. And if all that wasn't enough, we have a subset of shows called Baz V Horror, where our horror novice, The Baz, tackles horror in all shapes and forms to see who will come out victorious. So what are you waiting for? The show can be found at podcastunderthestairs.wordpress.com and on Stitcher and iTunes. The Podcast Under The Stairs is a proud member of Legion Podcast Network. This is Duncan McLeish from Under The Stairs, signing off. great uh so yeah i think we can move on now and we will move on to cemetery man also better known as della morte della more from 1994 i'm the watchman of the buffalora cemetery my name's francesco della morte i don't know how the epidemic started all i know is that some people on the seventh night after their death come back to life With your consent, I'd like to marry Nagy. Not as long, dear, as I've got a breath in my body. We'll fix that right away. Stop killing the dead. If you don't want the dead coming back to life, why don't you just kill the living? Are you listening to me? Don't you believe me? No! Tough. Is directed by Michelle Sauve. Uh, I'm probably totally pronouncing that name wrong. Uh, written by Gianni Romali, Tizano Scalvi, uh, who's also known for Dylan Dog and actually um, 
this film kind of uh, informed mm-hmm. his comic book character, Dylan Dog, and there was a movie as well that uh, I've never seen with uh, Brandon Rolfe or whatever his name is, who was Superman at one point, starring Rupert Everett as Francesco Delamorte, uh, Francois Haji Lazaro as Gangi, Anna Falci as she, Mickey Knox as Marshall Stanero, Fabina Formica as Valentina Scanorati, uh, Clive Ritchie as Dr. Viseri, Katja Anton as Claudio's girlfriend, Barbara Kupisti as Magda, uh, Anton Alexander as Franco, uh, Pietro Gnur... Fuck it. I'm done. <laughs> I'm, I'm done with the fucking fucking... Fuck these fucking Italians and the names. Uh, Daniel, go to the synopsis. <laughs> I love whenever we reach the point in the uh, podcast where Lee just has enough with his bad Italian pronunciation and just goes, yeah. all right, fine. Just, just still look at it. All right, it's I'm fine. Done. Italy shouldn't exist. I'm sorry. <sighs> I'm not going to argue. I'm just, we're just going to keep going. Can we keep the films and just get rid of the country? Can, can yeah. we do that? <laughs> can, the food? Can we keep the food? We could do that as well. And, yeah. the, and the northern wines? I like the northern wines. But throw the boot away. We're done. It stinks. <laughs> The dead are coming to life, and no one seems to have particularly noticed, except for Della Morte, the man who owns the cemetery, who explains in voiceover that some percentage of the bodies he buries come back to life after seven days and must be killed again by splitting the skull. He's aided by a mentally handicapped man named Nagi, who with a propensity for spaghetti, and television, who acts as a gravedigger, and seems to have more or less come to terms with his elements of his life, although he's still trying to get some kind of assistance from the local mayor and from his only friend Franco who has some sort of job as a municipal clerk. When a gorgeous young widow shows up in mourning for her elderly husband, Delamorte is immediately smitten. But she only shows interest after he offers to show her his ossuary, and that's not a euphemism. <laughs> some hanky-panky follows, complete with the 90s vintage fake tits, and all is more or less well until the widow's husband returns to life, bites her, and forces Delamorte to kill them both. Nagi becomes smitten with Valentina, the young daughter of the mayor, and when she is killed in a motorcycle accident, he steals her head and begins a romance with it when it returns to life. Delamorte's liver also returns to life, and he realizes that she wasn't actually dead when he shot her and that he himself murdered the love of his life. He becomes despondent, is visited by death himself, who offers the sage advice that Delamorte might as well just start killing the living as well as the dead. Increasingly surreal imagery follows, including two encounters with women who look exactly like Delamorte's twice-dead girlfriend. The first, an assistant to the new mayor, has a phobia about sexual penetration and is smitten by Delamorte due to rumors of his impotence. To seal the deal, Delamorte has a chemical injection to his cock that disallows his erection, which comes as an irony worthy of O. Henry when the young woman reveals that she has been raped by the new mayor and in the process fallen in love with them and has gotten completely over her fear of penises. So it goes. Delamorte has better luck with the other young woman, who appears identical to his nameless love, managing to overcome the effects of the medical treatment and seal the deal, as it were, but then discovers that she's a prostitute, leading him to murder her and her two roommates by arson. In the end, his life in shambles and a string of murders in his recent past, Delamorte decides to finally get out get the fuck out of town. He brings Daggy with him, but as soon as they exit the tunnel out of town, the highway literally ends in a cliff. The world is only as large as the town. No other people seem to exist anywhere in the world. Delamorte slams on the brakes, accidentally killing Yagi, who, when he comes back to life, is able to speak with perfect diction. When Yagi has to be taken home, it is Delamorte who seems to have become the mental incompetent. And Daniel, I really want to hear your interpretation, your overall sort of thoughts beginning on this one, because, uh, goddamn. Do you want want my interpretation or my thoughts? Both. Both. 
I interpret this as the uh, fever dream of a man who is uh, basically undergoing a psychotic break after breaking up with the, the love of his life. Like, like this is this. None of this is meant to be interpreted literally. This is uh, totally this somebody's nightmare. It exists on a nightmare logic. You know, so many films that say they act on dream logic really just kind of use this kind of vaguely surrealist imagery to kind of pretend like we're obeying dream logic. This one actually does. Where any five minutes, like if you just take any five minutes out of this film and watch it individually it kind of makes perfect sense like within its own context. But then you kind of think about where you are and where you, where you begin and where you end and everything is, you know, things are just completely unhinged. Nothing really is there. There's no large scale connective tissue. And that's kind of how dreaming works. That's kind of how mm-hmm. things behave in terms of our subconscious mind, at least the way that, that my dreams kind of uh, you know, interpret them at, at the end. I think this is very much the story of a guy who lost uh, somebody that he cared about. Maybe she died. Maybe she just broke up with him. He's kind of uh, dreaming. We're kind of getting into his head. Maybe he works as a mortician. Maybe he doesn't. Maybe, I mean, you know, it's, it's all, it's all just kind of jumbled images at this point, but the girl Mm -hmm. keeps coming back. The girl keeps returning to his life in different forms and uh, always in a sense of where she's betrayed him. She's in some way not treated him the way that, he should, but he feels guilty because, I mean, he is, uh, he does kill her, you know, he does learn that he killed her. So there is a sense in which he finds himself responsible for these things. Um, this is a film that works on a metaphorical level, on a dreamlike level, on a, a kind of symbolic level, more so than a literal level. And um, not what I expected. When I sat down to watch it, I was kind of like, oh, we're going to kind of see this kind of black comedy about this guy who, you know, has to kill a bunch of zombies. It's more interesting than that. It's it definitely, there, there's something really uh, going on here. It's a fun movie. I enjoyed it. Um, and I actually, my wife, when she found out I was watching, she was like, oh, I love this movie. Like, she grew up with it. So, and I didn't know about it until I, until I started watching it. So, um, yeah, those are my thoughts. Nice. Uh, Paul, your sort of initial thoughts on this one. Well, thank you, Daniel. I like your, your thoughts on it, too. But, like, uh, this going off what Daniel said, this is actually, I always consider this film my mind on film. <laughs> exactly what you were saying like uh, that, this is my brain on film i love this film i grew up with this film you know i mean as far as i can remember i watched this film i actually have a copy of it now that sounds fun my one girlfriend bought me <laughs> and uh, and actually i wore it out where you can't we can't see anything but i kept it anyway and then i bought another copy of it and then finally i bought it on dvd but i love this film the, the best part about this film is, yeah, it's completely dreamscape. It is nuancy. It is, it is like artsy. I, I guess you use the term artsy just as a little quick description. But you can also just watch it as a silly black comedy. Like you can do that. Mm-hmm. And so other people can watch it and still get something out of it. I love the fact that it's just like, you know, I, so I connect with this film a lot. He's, he's looking for love. He's looking for meaning in his life. He doesn't actually give a fuck about life. He doesn't want to live. But yet at the same, at the same time, he hates everyone around him, but yet doesn't have the fucking that, – that drive to finally kill himself because he's still dealing with everybody else's bullshit that no one else wants to deal with. You know, and this film is so fucking amazing to me, and I love the, the, the visual – the visual aspects of this film is breathtaking to me. The, the black uh, comedy kind of satire is amazing. And those tits are fucking not fake. <laughs> and, like, you know, nipples like fucking coffee cups. I'm telling you, it's, it's pretty awesome. 
Uh, but overall, yeah. overall, um, just this um, film um, is um, something um, that someone has to see. Yeah, I'm pretty sure Anna Falci's uh, breasts are actually real. Uh, I, I can I can recall I can recall back in the late '90s, a friend of mine once said uh, her breasts are crass and intrusive. Uh, that, that was the common thing. And then, and, and all, all I can think is uh, she's I think she's in her late 40s now, maybe. Yeah. Um, she's probably got some major back problems. That's all I'm gonna say. Um, but because she's she's got a small frame and. Big tits, uh, and oh, she's- if 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 those are if those are real, and I, I I'm not I'm not really making a uh, they definitely have that '90s fake tit look. So well, yeah, they have that. They have a proper yeah, that, droop to them, though, and a slope. They, they have that. They do have that perfect symmetry, though. I can I can see where Daniel's coming from, where yes, they look like yes, they were manufactured somewhere. But <laughs> I, I, I think in this case, it's just like pure. You got a Porsche pure, on your Beautiful tail. Italian manufacturing. In, in, in this case, uh, she's biological. Finished. She's uh, she's oh, she's, she's Italian finished. Yeah. Oh well, there. Well, there. You. How can you? How can you not have great yeah, tits exactly. in that? Exactly. And, and everyone knows that has been to Finland. All they have is strip clubs. That's all they have, and it's pretty amazing. Lots of good things. So there you go. Well, so I mean, strip clubs, strip a good clubs. beer, and democratic socialism. And the snow. end. Lots of snow. And then yeah. Schnee. Schnee. Yeah. They call it Schnee in Germany. Yeah. Uh, yeah, for me, this this film is one that took a long time for me to get into. I, I think even my opinion of it has sort of improved a bit since uh, Paul and I initially tried to do this episode, and the audio fucked up. Um, I like it now more since uh, since that time. It took me a long time to fucking get what was going on in this film. Like I was actually trying to piece it together. Like I was trying to interpret what was going on, and then now I've sort of come to the point where yes, it's kind of dream logic. You can't really connect these things too specifically. I kind of get the feeling though, and I'm not sure about this, but the Franco that he talks to on the phone and eventually visits in the hospital, I'm kind of thinking almost Franco is him. To a certain degree, like that's just some aspect of his personality, and this film might be about his guilt of actually, you know, losing people, maybe even killing people, and he's kind of dealing with that in his mind. I don't know. I'm, I'm just kind of reaching there. Or someone like a friend he wish he had. Mm. I really wish I had someone I could talk to that actually gave a fuck, and Franco mm. did. You know what I mean? That kind of thing. And then when you finally find Franco in the thing, and he's like, "What kind of fucking friend do you think I, you know, I am? That who you are?" And he's like, "I don't know. You get the fuck away from me." Like it's just. And like when it pans up to this is dark circle of things and he's in the middle of it, it's just it's amazing. Yeah. And I like in the film, no one gives a fuck about anybody else's problem except what they're doing. Like they have no fucking idea. They don't care. You know, like the, the mayor is completely fucking out of it. The uh, Stradietti doesn't give a fuck. Like he is the worst Columbo in the world. Mm. Uh, you know what I mean? Like it's just a great. Uh, just it's it's funny. I mean, there's a lot of comedy. There's a lot of good stuff in the film. When when the the mayor becomes a zombie, he's like, "You can't shoot me. I'm the mayor." And then he blows his brain and goes X. Like just walks away. He's like, "Fuck you. I don't care." Everything about this film just is, is something I appreciate. Yeah, I was, I was I was kind of feeling like everyone in this is kind of just aspects of his personality, and this is all taking place in his head. Mm-hmm. To some extent, like when you get to the end where basically they've reached the end of the map, it, it just feels like, yeah, he's reached the fucking edge of his skull almost, you know, like in his or his brain tissue. I mean, well, he's, he's just trying fucking... to put that skull together the whole film. 
and they can't yeah. do it. Yeah. Where he s- seemingly switches personalities with uh, Nagi, it almost feels like he lets Nagi's personality, whatever part of his personality Nagi represents, maybe take over, like his innocence or his acceptance or something like that. I don't know. I am incredibly still confused by this film to this day, but I still do like it a lot. I, and I, I think it's meant to be a shaggy dog story. I don't think that we're supposed to be able to piece it together in a, in a kind of like literal way. I mean, uh, at, at least for me, it doesn't, I trying to view it as some kind of, this represents this, you know, there's, there are too many like extraneous details. Like the fact that he meets two women who look exactly like mm-hmm. this girl that he fell in love with, mm-hmm. not one. And if they, yeah. you know, the, the, the fact that, he gets visited by death and he's suddenly killing people at random. Like he decides to start killing the living just mm-hmm. because, you know, sort of thing. Those kinds of details feel uh, specifically like, okay, now we're shifting gears and we're going into another side of the story. There's a little bit of a fight club element to this to some degree. Yeah. Uh, yeah. This sort of nihilistic, uh, you know, kind of tunneling into uh, somebody's psychotic delusion sort of, sort of concept. I mean, I, I My mind on, on film again, <laughs> <laughs> It's my mind on film, and, it, uh, and it's nice that uh, people from different walks of life and different upbringing and different things can find something they enjoy about this film. That's one thing I found out by talking to people about this film. Well, yeah, this this has a really big fan base, and it's not necessarily all just you know like people who are into dissecting film and criticizing film and stuff. Nerds like us who do. I mean, this is kind of a film that really does kind of have a broad appeal because there's just so many interesting things going on it where you can just kind of watch it as a black comedy kind of thing. And, oh, it doesn't quite make sense, but who cares? It's fun. Yes. I mean, this is the sort of thing I can imagine. I mean, now that I've seen it, I can imagine, like, you know, I say this sometimes, you know, oh, invite some people over, just put it on, and just let people go, like, what the fuck is this? You know? Like, yeah. there, 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 is a, there is kind of an element of that. Um, I love, uh, you know, again, kind of coming right after the Spaghetti Westerns. I thought this was a nice transition into horror for us because this week we got a film with a Morricone score and we got a film with, uh, if anything, he's a better shot than Sabata. Because like, yeah, he's, never misses. he's just, he's completely uh, nonchalant about, uh, with his uh, gun, his six-shooter full of uh, infinite bullets, yeah. just uh, plowing them into a zombie skull. Completely, and like, uh, like I mean, that the, the beginning of the film just opens you up into something different that no other film kind of opens you up into. With this, yeah. uh, this kind of weird ringing, you know, that you you meet the first character, he opens up the door, the guy stands there, he blows his brains right out. It's like, oh, nothing, no, just just work. No, I like how you don't quite know if he's on. dead. You don't quite know if he's dead or not yet. But then they they go to that close up to the side of his face and the ant, the ant yeah, up the ant, and boom, blows his head out. Yeah, and uh, yeah, and uh, I like that. Like I said, it's just me kind of growing up watching this film, trying to figure out, you know, how to deal with things and emotions and things, and you know, uh, death and love and life, and trying to make sense of things. And like the best part is, like you know, no, don't worry about it. Life goes on. I mean, that's like like the the first time I rented this, I think I rented it on VHS, and I could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure the back cover actually had a picture of uh, Anna Fulci in in that position where where she's straddling uh, Del Norte. There, it does. Yeah, basically, yeah. yeah, I was like, I'm I'm written this. I'm written this right now. (laughs) Yeah, I'm like, yo. As soon as you saw that, you had to rent it. Okay, zombies and tits. I'm doing this. Yeah. I mean yeah. that that was that was the uh, that was the draw right there, but uh, 
oh, the VHS era. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And I mean, even even then, like, this is kind of one of those films where, yeah, it kind of appeals to, like we said, appeals to people where, okay, this is a black comedy. I'm just going to watch it and not think about it. But it's one of those films where you watch it. And for me, it was actually kind of one of those films where back in my youth where I was like, okay, I'm starting to get the idea of thinking about films a bit deeper than just when I'm directly watching there's layers and it's it's one of those films that kind of probably helped me think about mm-hmm. films a bit bit deeper you know it's kind of a horror comedy version of Joe versus the volcano in a way you know that's <laughs> again a nice pull there sir <laughs> you pay me for a reason sir yeah, yeah in a sense of uh, kind of the dream girl kind of coming back over and over again um and the kind of surreal imagery and a sort mm-hmm. of uh, apocalyptic ending so yeah yeah, yeah. Kind of, kind of, it's playing in it's playing in the same uh, in the same waters. And it's kind of weird because this is a this is a guy who uh, not only acted in a couple of the demons films, he directed a few of the demons films and opera. And those films don't feel anything like fucking Cemetery no. Man to me. No, they don't. No, they don't. They're vastly different. And I guess he's been trying to get a sequel off the ground now for years, but it, it hasn't happened. And I mean, this is right at the. This wasn't even the tail end. This was after the Italian fucking film industry just fell. Right. Bottom, this is a long, out. long, long, long time after that. Yeah. So uh, it's amazing that he actually got the money to even make this fucking film. And it looks great. I mean, they, the sets are all built on basically an abandoned cemetery, like one that was basically not used anymore. Uh, they built the and the ossery was actually a real ossery though that they used. Right, and I like how the fact is you know you don't have to worry about finding that lost track of audio. I mean everything is in English. I mean it's all yeah. done in in the the language that you see it in. Yeah, everywhere is the same language, so you don't have to worry about missing things that you normally in a lot of Italian cinema. But this is almost like a, a high quality kind of like book into the sort of past era of Italian cinema to a certain mm-hmm. degree. Because and this is the one that got me into trying to find out about Italian cinema. Yeah, yeah. I mean, literally before this, you had basically like ten years of shit. <laughs> there was like basically ten years of nothing. Okay, okay. That was all that great. great. Great White and Killer Croc weren't that bad. I think we 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 had uh, Cat the Brain in in in, in, yeah. the, in the last ten years. Yeah, but you know, we, we're kind of pushing. Yeah. We're kind of we're kind of pushing things. Uh, I mean, they're basically they're doing direct but bad versions of eighties sci fi horror films. I mean, that yeah. was the, that was what you were getting out of Italy at the time. So yeah, but yeah, I I like this a lot. Um, a again, real, I, real I film. a real a real like I can I can understand why people gravitate towards it. I definitely if. Paul tells me this is like looking into his brain. I now understand Paul to to a much greater degree, so I appreciate that. <laughs> um, and uh, no, it, it is. It's a kind of. A, I mean, I guess it has its cold audience, but it's kind of an undiscovered gem. I mean, I've heard the title before, but never really gave it a second thought. Just kind of. But uh, really interesting. Um, I'd probably. Re- I mean, <laughs> now that I might, I might make this like an October watch for me down the oh, line. Yeah. You know, nice. like it kind of every nice. October kind of. Give it a watch, especially um, <laughs> again. I put it on, and it's on YouTube right now, so you can watch it. Mm-hmm. Yes, it is. There's two, two or three different versions. Yeah, definitely. So is Night Train, by I, the way. Night Train. Murders. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Night Train is I, on there. But um, yeah, I put it on, and she was like, "Holy shit, are you watching Cemetery Man?" I'm like, "Yeah." It's just like yeah. I grew up on this. It's, well, uh, definitely one of my favorite movies. Yeah. yeah. And here's here's one of the things. Maybe one of the things I don't like too much. I, the soundtrack's just kind of non-existent to me. It doesn't really no, resonate that, with me at all. No, the soundtrack's the best for me. Is it? wrong. Oh, yeah, yeah. I love the soundtrack, and I love just the, the main theme and things like that, and just the I, fact it, that they use more just, like, nuance 
Yeah, I, mean, I like that. I, that's, the, I love the soundtrack. Didn't connect with me at all, and apparently, if Tan, Tangerine Dream were originally going to do the soundtrack in this one, but had to, uh, had to the actual up. main the main theme song, much like uh, another film that I love so much, is like Ravenous. Uh, mm-hmm. The main the main theme song is actually on my playlist. The Cemetery nice. Man theme song, the Ravenous theme song, stuff like that. They're on my playlist. They, yeah, they've definitely gave the film this singularity that you don't find in other films for me, and I like it a lot. Budget for this was four million. In the USA, it only grossed two hundred fifty-three thousand. Uh, but in Italy, goddamn, <laughs> uh, big numbers: two hundred, six hundred. Uh, I'm not even gonna be. I'm not a shitload of money. Got it. I'm too. Yeah, I'm too drunk to say that number. My my brain's not working. It, it it's in a Italian right of, now. Apparently, a bunch of lyrics. Yeah, a lot of lira. Goddamn, a lot of lira. Yeah. Uh, also, one thing I'll, I'll point out, I, I do like, well, like they do a lot of shots of the roots going through the, mm-hmm. like the cemetery. Apparently, the director says that's kind of the uh, where the corpses get their energy from, and like that's kind of what brings the corpses back to life is those roots snaking through everything. Like you even see freshly fucking buried corpses roots, like just with roots going in them, yeah, to their in their coffins and stuff. I, yeah. I I do like that. I like that idea. Like that's just kind of a. I I like the little soft stuff that sometimes people, if you're not watching it, don't realize. Like when they when they finally start to fuck for the first time, and they fuck on the on their on her husband's grave. Mm-hmm. Every time they look at the picture, it has a different face on his tombstone. Getting different, oh. like yeah, different. Getting he's getting more angry and stuff every time. Oh, I did catch that. Oh yeah, stuff like that. I mean, well, I've I've watched it literally thousands of times, masturbating. Ah, well, there you go, vigorously. But yeah, that that's no, that there is stuff like that. If you do watch it, you'll you'll find different different things that you you notice in the film. It's mm-hmm. different. That, that sort of idea of like roots growing through different coffins and stuff that that's kind of a, almost a classic more of a horror literature kind of trope of like corruption in the graveyard kind of thing you know like yeah. something is really wrong in this graveyard you know some sort of eldritch horror kind of going on yeah. I was gonna say just a, like H.P. Uh, Lovecraft in the graveyard yeah. with like the with Beyond or the uh, or the uh, unnameable and then like mm-hmm. where they, when when they always find these little uh, low class graveyards to steal bodies from and reanimate in the original story, yep. yes. Yeah, I guess we're all in kind of agreement. This is definitely one everyone should watch. Again, I, I don't pretend to 100% understand it, but I do like it a lot now. Like, every time I watch it, actually, I like it more. And, I mean, at the very base level, you get to see Anna Falchi naked, which is Ta-da! really good. And, and you get to see Rupert, before, Rupert before Everett's before ass. Was, before you knew he was gay. So, you know. Yeah. Yeah. You got to see a gay man's ass. Woo-hoo! Yeah, there you well, go. Well, that's not, that's not that unusual for me, but, you know. Oh, that's true. <laughs> I'm more of a front. I'm, 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 I'm more of a frontal attack guy myself. So, well, there's that yeah. too. Yeah. There you go. So, uh, I think next week, if plans go uh, the way I'm hoping, we will have uh, James Murphy on, and we will be doing Theater of Blood and the Skull. Daniel, tell people where they can find you on the interwebs. Don't, 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 don't find me. It's fine. Um, no, you can find me out on Twitter at Daniel Lee Harper. Uh, you can find all my other podcasting things, which everybody knows about at oyspaceman.com or at oyspaceman.lipson.com. And uh, I write uh, sometimes at originalimpress.com. Yeah, check me out there. Yeah. Uh, Paul, where can people find you? Uh, PA Brew News, YouTube and Facebook, paulromaley.com, and Oil Paintings by P. Romaley on Facebook. That's right. Check out his paintings and buy them because they're awesome. There you go. Yeah, and uh, of course, tmbdos.podbean.com is our official site where you can find all of our links to YouTube, 
iTunes and Facebook. They must be destroyed on site on Facebook is the best place to get in touch with us. Do we have a Facebook group? We do have a Facebook group, and it's actually pretty good. We, we, we have like 40 members on it now. It's, wow. you know, That's it's, impressive. It's, which is like yeah. growing by leaps and bounds to our standards. So Yeah, yeah, I know. I mean, you know, people people should definitely come and, and join us there and chat about movies and stuff. It's really yeah, good conversations don't, happening. Don't be don't be shy, you know, throw I'm bring I'm bringing I'm bringing this bit back cuz we haven't done it in a while. So, you know, come yeah. on, people. If yeah. you if you want don't want me to keep doing this stupid bit, you need to come and join the Facebook group and have conversations. Yeah, I mean, just just go on the wall, read down the wall a little bit, see that a guy like Cameron Sullivan who's just constantly throwing stuff on there. Be like Cameron Sullivan and throw stuff on there and we'll respond to it recommendations for, for us to watch yeah uh, tell, tell us how full of shit we are yeah like, it'd be great tell us yeah, how we, terrible once upon a time in the west is i would yeah, really love to hear that i i would really love to hear that because i'd love to argue against people who don't like that movie because they're wrong objectively wrong <laughs> that's like an objective decision yeah no you're just wrong that's fine you're just yeah. wrong but yeah uh other than that we will be back next week thank you gentlemen for joining me once again no problem and, yeah, and uh, thank you, everyone, for listening. And we'll see you guys next week. Goodbye. Goodbye.
Thank you for listening to They Must Be Destroyed on Site. For past episodes, links to the host's other stuff, and links to various podcasts and websites of similar interest, please visit us at tmbdos.podbean.com. There you can also find our iTunes, YouTube, and Facebook links. Please join our Facebook group, as this is the best way to get in contact with us and to keep up to date with what's coming up on the podcast. We also can be found as part of the Oi Spaceman family of podcasts at oispaceman.com, where you can find various sci-fi-themed podcasts about Doctor Who, Red Dwarf, Firefly, and classic sci-fi novels. If you decide to subscribe to us through iTunes, please take a moment to leave us a star rating and a review. Thank you. Drive through.